Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph, and we are now in uh, lesson 41. And last time we began by reading uh, chapter 2 of Isaiah, showing the end results of the repentance that God will bring to his people Israel, and specific here as Isaiah is speaking, uh, is, uh, he's speaking about Judah, about Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and in essence, as you can read later on, uh, the reason why God put the emphasis also on Judah and Jerusalem, it's because that he's coming back to his own as he did in the first time, and this time his own will receive him, and later on we're going to read uh, when we get to the book of uh, Zechariah, that when God descends on the Mount of Olives, that is the Savior of Israel, the Messiah of Israel. It says very plainly that he is going to save the tents of Judah first. And that statement uh, has been repeated uh, in the New Testament several times. Salvation is of the Jews, Jesus Christ said. He could have said salvation is of Israel, but he chose to say salvation is of the Jews and had a reason for it. And then the apostles also repeated that very statement that when the good news is being, uh, that is, is brought back to uh, the people of Israel, then it will be to the Jew first and then to the non-Jew. And of course, uh, with that they include later on also the house of Israel, the rest of the house of Israel. And even then, when it says to the Jew first, mind you, that then the majority of the Jewish population did not live in the land of, uh, of Israel. They lived in Babylon, they lived in many other places. So they, in essence, received the message later. But that part of, uh, of uh, Judah that re remained in the land, that remained in Zion, in Jerusalem, that went through the experience of the coming of the Creator and God, though they did not recognize Him as such, and even his own disciples had a very difficult time understanding it, believing it in its fullness. Not until the, uh, his resurrection and the receiving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost did they really get the picture in a fuller sense. And so God is making a point here also that when he sends this uh, prophet Isaiah, though Israel was still around, yet it says that the emphasis of his message is to Judah, and to Jerusalem. And so let's take it from God's point of view. That has nothing to do with any uh, superiority on the part of anyone. And so as a result, in spite of the fact that he spoke about the great sins of, e of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, which he compared it even to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, that is, at least he called them rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, he said that he's going to offer them repentance grant them repentance and cleanse them and purge them and purify them and make them whole and make them pure and purify their sins by his own blood, by his own sacrifice. And he's going to work out this theme from the beginning until the end. And so when you reach uh, Isaiah 53, you see the manner in which he's going to do it. And then that leads you to the end of the book where it leads you all the way, not only to the coming of Christ, but to the new Jerusalem the descent of the heavenly Jerusalem with the Father in it. And uh, this story is a long, long story, and there is no 
uh, rejection in between. There's punishment, yes, but not rejection. And God has not rejected his people, and he did not choose somebody else, and he did not give up on them. That's the reason why he came and gave his life for them. And that's basically the way you understand, even though those who read only the New Testament don't really understand the statement, how Christ died for his own people and for the bride and he's going to cleanse her and to purge her with his own blood so that she would be without spots and without blemishes and those who invented the the concept of a new entity called the church in contrast to Israel they directed every statement that was spoken by the apostles to their own advantage to justify the existence of that counterfeit church and so God makes it very plain and that's in essence what we're doing through this series we're going to see it from God's point of view and not the deception of the past 2,000 years that the overwhelming majority of those who call themselves Christians have been infested with and affected by and to this very day many of them still believe it even among the people of God and so in chapter 2 we read what God will do after he brought back Israel to himself, the one that he had never rejected. I think it's uh, important to constantly remember that because it's so difficult after 2,000 years of being brainwashed by lies and deceptions and basically of the counterfeit uh, church, the churches of revelations. It's not only the mother but also her daughters out of which many, many of us came and brought with them their own concepts and ideas and theology and perception and understanding and terminology of the law of God and of concepts and teachings that God gave us and had the understanding of those churches of what the apostles said in contrast to what really God said and what he was saying through them and so people uh, really believe that and to this very day people really believe that that there is Israel, ancient Israel and God rejected them, and uh, you know they were a bunch of rebel rousers, carnal-minded, and didn't have the Holy Spirit, and no faith. And God threw them out, and now He put them down, and He picked up the church. You know, when Christ said, "I will build my church," says, "Aha! You see, Christ is beginning a new entity." Well, this is not what He's talking about. If you don't have the background to what He's talking about, you really don't understand what He's talking about. And many people think they do, and so they are being misled by this lack of background and knowledge and understanding. I read uh, something in one of the publications of one of the churches of God that basically uh, capsulizes, in essence, the understanding that is still among God's people. And this is what uh, I'll read one paragraph. Uh, you might, uh, if you listen carefully to the words, you might know where it's coming from. I don't necessarily want to put, to, uh, put anybody down or uh, to shame anyone or to uh, speak negatively about any person it's not my intent and it's not my purpose and it's not my custom uh, all journalists speaking as I said you know mean well but when you have misinformation and all of us are subject to it I said many things that were foolish uh, based on misinformation, and then I came to realize, no, that was not uh, true. So, you know, you change when you realize that. And you don't need to be too proud and too boastful about it and too uh, 
arrogant and to think that we know it all. No, we don't. We all make mistakes and we all have misunderstanding. And so in essence, uh, the paragraph here uh, shows you what is the attitude of many of us about this concept uh, that we are talking about, the identity of the Church of God. We, I quote here, We now know that Israel failed. You see, we now know. It's as if, you know, all this time uh, people didn't know. We now know that Israel failed to fulfill God's desire for them. And that is basically an absolute misinformation. For the simple reason, the story of Israel is not over yet. So let's not speak too soon, because that's basically what, what whoever wrote this one is speaking too soon. Not considering God's plan of salvation from the beginning until the end. It's not over yet. But the New Testament specifically teaches us that we who believe and are spiritually minded now have been chosen to do what the ancient Israelites could not and did not do. And you see, this was the basic classical Catholic thinking and Protestant thinking. And it is affecting, basically speaking, all the churches of God. That's theology. We're basing our understanding of theology on this premise. And that is a false premise. And that's why we're going very thoroughly through this uh, subject to expose that for what it is and to explain it from God's point of view from beginning until the end, not man's point of view or interpretation of man. You know, you read it for your own self. And so, once it leads you to believe that Israel failed, which God said, no, they didn't, they're just on hold. They haven't finished the job yet. I will make them finish the job that I have begun. Whatever God begins, He will finish. So by making this statement, basically what they're saying is that God failed. Poor God. He didn't have the power to finish what he started. He didn't count the cost. That's totally foolish. And that borders with blasphemy when you think about it. To accuse God of being a failure. Just like the people in the world that say, well, Satan is, is, is winning. Because poor God is, is, is pleading, you know, all day, please believe in me, you know, love me and all that stuff, walk my ways. And Satan, the devil, has, uh, has a victory. Well, that's the same attitude when you think about it. So I continue to quote, Now the high divine calling that came to God's people in the wilderness of old is upon us today. See? In other words, last generation doesn't count. Well, the people of God and the generation before and the generation before, maybe that's not what they mean, but even the language shows you uh, the misunderstanding, misinformation, uh, lack of ability to consider the whole matter. You know, everything is today. What about the past 2,000 years? What about the apostles and the disciples and all, and all the, their followers you know, for centuries who did know very well why do we use this kind of a language? And so, continue to uh, quote, We must become that body of believers with whom God can and will work to see that accomplished in our lives. We must become intimately aware of the record of ancient Israel's sojourn in the wilderness 
this is absolutely crucial to the part that we have been called to play. Well, as I said, you know, I have no intent of putting anybody down because I make my own mistakes too. We all do. But all that is based on misinformation, the misinformation of the identity of the true church of God as God recorded the history of his church from Genesis to Revelation into eternity. And the people were unlearned, as Peter would say, but people were unlearned, you know, what makes you unlearned? When you don't know the whole picture, that's what makes you unlearned. When you don't consider the whole thing, uh, then you are unlearned. You don't, you know, you, you base your, your perception, uh, like the person that just walked into the movie in the last quarter, and he's trying to understand everything from that point of view, and he's taking it for granted that he knows it all, instead of taking it for granted that he doesn't know it all, because of the mere fact that he hasn't seen the first three quarters of the movie. Yeah, people always do that. They, they take a little uh, statement here and there, and uh, or several one of them, and say, aha, you see, this is what it means. And they have to be careful not to do this kind of things, because that's how all of us make mistakes. And so in chapter 2 of Isaiah, when God, in essence, wraps up the picture, when Israel is back, he atoned for their sins, he brought them back to his own nation, to his own city, and now he's ready to go, you see. Uh, that was just sort of a detour that Israel had taken in between. And when he talked about uh, 2,800 years uh, detour for the house of Israel, that is the northern kingdom, well, consider it in, in God's uh, timetable. It's 2.8 days. You know, one day for a thousand years. So for three days, you know, they went astray. But the story is not over. So you cannot look at the beginning of the picture on the middle and say, well, that's the way it is. Uh, you got to wait until the end. In other words, get the whole picture before you speak. And that's one reason why the proverb tells us, you know, that the person that uh, speaks too soon before he hears the matter is a fool. You know, that's not wisdom without hearing the whole thing and speaking up. And that's exactly what so-called uh, established Christianity had done for the past 2,000 years. I never heard the whole matter. You know, as Solomon would say, let us hear the whole matter. You know, the last book of... Uh, that is the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. Uh, fear God. You know, what is the whole duty of man is to fear God and to obey His commandments. And His commandment is study to show yourself approved. You know, prove all things. Get the whole picture before you do anything or you speak. And so now let's continue again with uh, Isaiah chapter 2. We began that last time, but we were cut in the middle, so let's, let's go through the whole thing again. Chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amotz, so, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That's the way God wanted it to be recorded. Judah and Jerusalem. Now, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, at the end time, that it means at the coming of the, of the Messiah, that the mountain of the Eternal's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations shall flow to it so you see, you know, Israel never uh, failed. It just took a detour, like the prodigal son. You know, went away for a little while, sowing his wild oats. But the story is not over. And then, in verse 3, Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. 
He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, that is the Torah, you know, not Christianity, but the Torah shall go forth out of Zion, and people who don't like this word are going to have to relearn to like it. Because that's the terminology God is going to continue to use and not their own. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And people who read that don't understand it. If you don't have a background, what does it mean? You see, when you uh, go to the book of Ezekiel, the last eight chapters, you read about the construction of the temple and the section that is called the holy portion, and which is, uh, you might say, 50 square miles, roughly speaking. It's 25 by 25,000 cubic. Uh, that is uh, the measurement of Ezekiel. Some say it's 18 inches. And some say it's 22 inches, whichever it may be. It's a square, and it's divided by three. Uh, you have uh, a portion of it that is uh, given to the priest in the middle of it, and that is basically 10 by 25,000 is given to the priest. In the middle of it, there will be the temple. That Zion. This is where the Lord will dwell. And then, the other 10 by 25 feet, that is 20 by 25,000 feet, will be given to the Levites, which is right next to it. And then the third part, on the other side of it, on the other side of Levi, which means Levi comes between that uh, and the priesthood and then the, the temple, and on the other side of it will be a, a portion of 5 by 25,000 feet, and this is given to the children of Israel, because they're going to dwell in the city of Jerusalem that will be right in the center of it. So you have a distance there, quite a distance, between Jerusalem and Zion. Zion will be the temple. And Jerusalem will be in the city, in the portion that Israel will receive, and representatives of all the tribes of Israel will reside in that city, and they are called the workers of the city. And they are going to reside in that city, and their purpose, mainly, basically speaking, is when all the nations of the earth, that is, the representatives of them, come to Jerusalem, they're going to stay there in the city, they're going to be accommodated in the city, and to be housed in the city, and the children of Israel will be the teachers of all the representatives of humanity. And so, God knew it all from the beginning until the end, how he's going to do it, he he counted, of course, he saw the, the whole pattern. He knew the rebellion of Israel. He, he told them about it long in advance. He said it through Moses. You go tell them, I know what they're going to do after you die. They're rebellious people, and I'm going to send them into captivity, and then we'll bring them back. You see, God planned the whole thing from beginning until the end, but people do not read the whole story, and they're all totally mixed up. That's why they come out with these uh, false doctrines. And the major one among them, or one of the major ones, is that God rejected his people and he started a new entity called the church. And we are it. And some people say, well, the church is a Gentile church and we are it. And all that is absolute nonsense. Because those who read the Bible, just like any other book, from beginning until the end, they see the whole story, the whole pattern, and they reserve judgment until the end before they speak. And people don't like to do it. And so, they make an awful lot of mistakes. They're very sincere people, very good people, yes. But 
sincerity is not good enough. And so, this is basically what this statement is all about. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, that is the Torah, and the word of the Lord, Dvar, and Dvar is uh, in Greek, Logos, and means the word, and Christ became the epitome of it, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people, and consequently they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooves. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And then verse 5, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the eternal. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways, or strange ways. They are soothsayers, like the Philistines. So now Isaiah goes back to the past, his time. He jumps forward into the end of the story, because that's the way God wants it written, so people don't get mixed up, and so his own people will understand the end of the story also. But also he goes back and forth between the present where there are evildoers and between the future when there are men of righteousness and fulfilling their task for which they were called. So to say that we know now that Israel failed to fulfill God's desire for them, it's obviously a person that did not bother to put the whole thing together properly before he speaks. Because the scripture is very plain. The scripture cannot be broken and God never lies. And so that is very plain, the way God puts it. Now let's go to chapter 10 of Isaiah, where we continue the story. In chapter 10, and verse 5, we read, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. In other words, God is warning his people that he's going to punish them for their wickedness. It happened in the days of Isaiah, where Assyria came. And this is a prophecy also for our days. Very soon, God is going to repeat the same pattern. And so he's going to bring an enemy to destroy his people. But then again, that's not the end of the story. We always have to remember that. It's never the end of the story. The end of the story, you're going to see the end of the book. Totally the end of the book, not only of Isaiah, which basically tells you the end of the story, but also Revelation. The message of God is always consistent and the same. That God chose his people, the only family of all the nations of the earth, to be his own people. His chosen one, his heritage. They are his firstborn, and through them, he is going to fulfill his purpose. To bring all nations of the earth to him. And so we just read that in Isaiah 10. And that is in Isaiah chapter 2, and as well as many other places. Which means that Israel never failed. So if they never failed, why reject them? You see? Punish them, yes, but not reject them. So to claim that God got tired of them and said, well, they are not doing what I told them to do. I'm going to get me somebody else. That's total misinformation, to put it very mild, mildly. And then in verse 20 of Isaiah 10, we shall continue. And it shall come to pass in that day. That is, after 
the sickness of Israel, the punishment of Israel, and all those things. Verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them. The army of Assyria, and for that matter all other nations, because Israel always makes alliances with other nations, and God resents that. That's idolatry as far as he's concerned, and adultery as far as he's concerned, since there is a marriage relationship there. It's just like a woman going to, you know, who's a married woman going to other men to uh, ask them to uh, fulfill her needs instead of her own husband. And so he says, but Israel will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Eternal, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. And the remnant, verse 21, will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return, the destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord of hosts, the eternal of hosts, that is the eternal God of hosts, will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. So God has a purpose, he's going to fulfill it, and his people are going to come back. And they're coming back to Zion. And they're going to fulfill the purpose for which he called them to begin with. So Israel never failed temporarily. They haven't done it. They're supposed to. And as it is, what do you think about it? As it is, did Israel really ever fail? Because God still had his prophets. And they continued to do the work. And they were Israelites. God had his apostles. And like the prophets, to this very day, they're still doing their job through the written word. They are Israel. So where did Israel fail? As a whole, as a nation, they did. But the claim that Israel failed, that to begin with, is a false statement. Because who was the New Testament church? They were all the Israelites. To whom did the apostles uh, were sent? To the lost house of Israel, to the sheep the lost house, that is, the entirety of the tribes, the twelve tribes. As James is writing a letter to the twelve tribes of Israel. And they did their job, but God was not interested at the time of revealing the identity of Israel to the whole world. So their job became sort of a commission of uh, secrecy in one sense. Now that it was there in their day, but to history, it became a sort of a secret commission. Because people don't know who Israel are. Uh, as time went by, even Israel themselves forgot who they are, though at the time of the apostles they still did know who they are. And for many centuries later, still many of them did know who they are. And even to this very day, a core of them always knew who they are. And their writers recorded that information. And you can read it in historic accounts to this very day. So that knowledge of who Israel is was never lost. And in that sense... Uh, Yes, to the world, you know, it is lost, to the majority of Israel it is, but some of them still did. In other words, as Paul would say, now there is always a remnant. God never uh, extinguishes completely the light of Israel. He punishes them, but they always remain his people. And let's go now to chapter 11, where the story continues. Again, God is jumping back and forth, as he's recording it through Isaiah, for people to realize the entirety of the story. You know, don't jump on, on one section of, story, of, of the scriptures and say, aha, that's it. Read the whole thing. And it goes back and forth. Future, past, present. 
God goes back and forth. And the history is always there. There is absolutely no reason for anybody to be deceived. If you read the Bible, there is no reason for anybody to be deceived. But people choose to be deceived. Because they choose to determine in their own mind what is true and what is not. That's a human tendency. That's what Jeremiah said. It's not in man to direct his path. Because when he does, he goes astray. That's why they're saying, uh, that's why he said about the heart. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, it's hard to, do, to understand why does the heart function in that manner. It knows better, and it does otherwise. As the Apostle Paul said about sin. You know, he said, I know better. But that which is good, I don't find myself doing, and that which is not, I, I do it. You know, what a carnal man. Well, that's, that's, that's a sickness in the human spirit. That's the reason why we have all these false doctrines. We're very sick. We're sick people. That's why we need a physician to totally heal us from all of our sicknesses, spiritual and physical. Until that time uh, comes, or there is total healing, we're going to have these constant problems uh, on many levels. So in Isaiah 11, we read again a story of the future. And as far as God is concerned, time does not exist. It does not live within this dimension as we do, being physical, within time. So to him there is never a failure, because he sees the whole picture from the beginning until the end. And Israel never failed as far as he is concerned. He who sees things which are not as though they are, he knows that they are going to do it anyway. So it's just a matter of down the road. You might say they have been procrastinating, but they have not failed. So in chapter 11, verse 1, we read, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, who was of the house of Judah, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Eternal shall rest upon him. We're speaking about two, two beings, divine beings. That's what I have said many times. And those in the Jewish community who are listening, uh, they should uh, pay attention to that. God always revealed that there are two beings. The prophets always knew it. Israel did know it. Many of them did know it. Until way beyond the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they always knew about the two beings. Two spirit beings. And both of them were called Yehovah. And one was a messenger of the other one. Well, it's not something new that came up with the New Testament where, you know, they say the Christians invented the new God. That's again ignorance on their part. Because they too don't read the whole story. We're all guilty of it. And it says, And the spirit of the eternal shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the eternal. Imagine that. One Lord fears the other Lord. Well, it's talking about reverence. Obviously not uh, human fear. In verse 3, His delight in the fear of the Lord. His delight is to reverence God, to honor Him, to praise Him. And that should be our delight too. And it's not uh, when we do not please God when we speak lies about Him and about His people and about His church. We should fear God a little bit better than that. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, which many of us do, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, which many of us do. That's the reason why we make mistakes. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And the consequence, verse 6, the wolf 
also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And it's not a fairy tale story, that's reality. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child, verse 8, shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt, nor destroy, in all my holy mountain. Speaking about Judah and Jerusalem. You see? Speaking about the nation. And speaking about all of Israel. You see? They're all, going, they're all going to be the nation of Israel because the two sticks of Judah and Israel are going to be united and they shall be one. But the emphasis of the message is on Judah and Jerusalem and uh, all the rest. All the nation of Israel. And then the impact of that over all the nations of the earth. And so it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the eternal as the waters cover the sea. And one reason for it also is because Israel never failed. Israel will fulfill their commission because God begun a work and he will finish it. Sometimes people forget that. I think that's applicable only to the individuals that God called and gave the Holy Spirit to. And they forget that that's the way God does with everything. What he begins, he finishes. So it's a foolishness, an utter foolishness to come up with this kind of a doctrine and to believe in it and to preach it to others. That God rejected his people and chosen somebody else and that's called the church. The church is Israel. And now and then they have problems. Just like the congregations that Christ spoke about in Revelation 2 and 3. Are the people of God. They are part of Israel. As a matter of fact, some people don't realize that the overwhelming majority, when you think about it, the overwhelming majority of the people that God called in the last 2,000 years. And I realize that, that the overwhelming majority of them are Israelites. You see? And then God also called individuals from other nations. Yet the Gentile world likes to put it the other way around. How convenient. Even today in our day, just consider, look all around you. What are the majority of, of the people of God? Aren't they Israelites? Did Israel ever fail? They never did. As a nation, yes. As Paul said, so what if some of them did not believe? He didn't say all of them did, and he said, what if some of them didn't believe? You want to say that they, nobody ever believed? Israel all, you know, failed? You know, it's total nonsense. You've got to read the scriptures properly, with the background, with the eyeglasses of God, not the eyeglasses of, uh, of uh, theology of, uh, of deceived people. And... In verse 10, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, again the Messiah, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the nations, the Gentiles, shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And that is in Zion. That is in the holy portion. That is in the place where the children of Israel will reside. And all nations of the earth will come to Israel. That's why you read in Zechariah. It's specific about Judah. Ten men of all nations of the earth, it says, shall hold on the skirt of him that is a Jew. And they shall say, well, take us to your God because we, we know that he is with you. 
You see, Israel never failed. Judah never failed. Uh, some of them didn't believe. Many of them don't believe, but many of them did. All the apostles are a testimony that Judah never failed. They were Jews. And all the believers in the first century and for centuries to come, they were Jews and they were Israelites from the other tribes. They just got uh, sort of uh, hid their identity even from themselves. But many of them didn't know who they are in the first few centuries. And so let's always look at it from God's point of view. And uh, let's continue the story. He will set up a banner. Uh, then uh, in verse 11, actually, it shall come to pass. This is a very important chapter to the identity of the church. Uh, it shall come to pass. In that day that the Lord shall say that the Eternal shall set his hand again, the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, look what they are going to be, from Pethos and Kosh, or Kush, in Hebrew it's Kush, in English it's a Kosh, Kosh means straw, uh, which sounds funny when you hear it in Hebrew, it's Kush, and Elam, and Shinar, we're talking about Iraq, what do you think we have this problem with the Gulf War constantly, well with Saddam Hussein, he's an Edomite by the way, a land of Iraq is is the land of Edom, among other nations of, of Edom. And uh, there's a purpose there. We're going to see an awful lot of uh, allied uh, forces in captivity in Iraq. When God rises, you know, to smite Israel, you know, and to punish them for their wickedness, he's going to allow the enemy, including uh, maybe Saddam, maybe somebody else and others, take them into captivity. So you can look forward to that in one sense. Uh, not that it is pleasant to think about it, but that's reality. And so he's going to recover them from Elam, and Elam is in Iran, and Shinar in, in Iraq, and from Hamat in the islands of uh, the sea. And Hamat, you know, you look up in, in Syria, northern Syria, and different places. In other words, uh, a lot of people from the Middle East are going to be in captivity. Uh, they will be both of Israel and of Judah. And uh, in verse 12, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. Israel and Judah coming back to fulfill their commission. No, they never failed. They procrastinated. You know, they were sowing their wild oats, yes, like the prodigal son, but they never failed. You know, you don't pass judgment until the end of the story, and people have done that. That's why we're mixed up. We think we know the truth, and we preach lies to people. Verse 13, also the envy of Ephraim shall depart. And that's one major problem that has been always between Israel and Judah. There is the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And it's specific between the house of Joseph and the house of Judah. You know, the envy. Uh, you can imagine what happened. You know, Ephraim remembered that Judah uh, suggested to his uh, brothers, well, let's sell Joseph, you know, instead of uh, killing him. Well, his intent was good, you know. Uh, why kill him? You know, let's sell him. It's better than, uh, you know, having a, still alive. Since he realized his brothers were going to kill him one way or the other, he said, the be, you know, it's, it's better to sell them, uh, to sell him, and uh, they like the idea. Uh, and so, in essence, he saved him by that. People forget that. But, you know, an envy developed between Ephraim and Judah, that is the descendants of them, obviously. And uh, then the scepter uh, was given to Judah and the birthright to Ephraim, so that created more frictions. And you can see a division there, and you can read it in uh, Ezekiel 23, that even from Egypt, Israel and Judah were divided. And so he's speaking about, in essence, uh, two entities there, uh, two women, 
uh, daughters of, that is, two women daughters of one mother uh, that became uh, the nation of Israel, you know, Judah, house of Judah and house of Israel. And so it says, God is going to remove the, Ephraim, the, uh, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. And that's the reason for an awful lot of uh, anti-Semitism uh, among the English people, the British people, among the people of uh, Joseph, even in this country, an awful lot of anti-Semitism. And it's nothing new. There was always anti-Jewish feelings, and that's the reason why they were always fighting one another in, in the ancient uh, times, where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were always at it, fighting each other and having wars, and other times making peace, uh, loving each other. So they were going back and forth. Uh, with constant envy that uh, now and then would rise up and uh, create a lot of uh, messy situation for them. Nothing new under the sun. It goes on to this day. Sometimes they love each other, sometimes they hate one another, and the envy is there. But God says, I'm going to put an end to that. You know, this rivalry among you. So the Ephraim, Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So it goes back and forth. Both are guilty. Verse 14 but they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines. That is together. Now they're going to be one. Uh, toward the, the west. That's uh, talking about when they're brought back. They're going to have a job there. Clear up the land. You know, get rid of all the... What he is calling the Philistines. Palestinians. In other words, if you're going to have your own land, you're going to have to do some work there and get rid of all the weeds, so to speak, and the thorns. Uh, speaking about human beings. And so together they're going to... They shall plunder the people of the east. Speaking about Iraq, uh, they shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, people who are still around there, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. Speaking about Jordanians and Ammonites and Moabites and Edomites, a lot of them Palestinians and other nations around. And the Lord, verse 15, the Eternal, will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. So he's going to get Egypt too with his mighty wind and will shake his fist over the river, that is, uh, the Euphrates, and strike it in seven streams, uh, for the simple reason because the, the the territory and some people that you know think it's a horror of horror, and I can you know, I can understand why, but people in the Middle East you know they're bargaining over a little piece of land here and there, you know take it from Israel, and they don't realize that God is going to give them the land that is promised from the beginning, which is going to be from the Nile to the river, the great river, the Euphrates, you know, a big territory. So much of Syria is going to be gone, totally gone. You know, they're uh, trying to get back the Golan Heights. They don't realize the majority of their land is going to be lost to the children of Israel and Lebanon, including in it. And Israel is going to chase away all those people. And in the process, unfortunately, as things go, many of them are going to be put to death. And verse 16, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel, in that day that he came up from the land of Egypt. So you see that, in essence, the entirety of the story there. From the time of God being brought out of Egypt, declared to be the body of witnesses, Adat Israel, the church of God, you know, using modern terminology. And this is the end of the story. So you see in one chapter here, from the beginning until the end, you know, capsulized form of the whole story. Yeah, I, we don't see any failure here on the part of Israel. You see procrastination here and there, envy in between, rivalry, uh, punishment, animosity, and all that. But the whole story is that when God begins, He finishes what He starts. So there's never a failure. People look at it that way. 
that's human to look at it that way because we don't see it God's way. And so let's continue now with uh, with chapter 12. And the story goes on. You see, in between the, the, the false church that rose, the counterfeit church began to teach all these lies, that we are not the Israel of God, we are the people of God, we are the spiritual Jews, and God uh, unveils the true identity of those who call themselves Jews and they are not, and He's going to expose them. And so in the past 2,000 years, especially, they were able to do it because Israel was into captivity, was being punished, so it was easy to, to, uh, uh, throw an awful lot of dust into the air and to confuse people and to deceive people. Had they been in their land, they could not have done it as well. You see, that deception wouldn't be uh, possible because the whole world would see Israel right there, so you couldn't deceive them. But now that they were into captivity, it was easy for the counterfeit church to rise up and to claim now, we are the church. And then those the offshoots that came from her say the same thing. And then those that God called out of them, Bringing with them those deceptions, at least a measure of it, still believe the same story. But God rejected His people Israel, and they forgave that they themselves are Israel, the majority of them are. God never rejected His people Israel. And so they think, well, you know, there is Israel, and there is a church, and we are the church, and they are Israel. And so they develop even animosity against their own heritage, and their own people, and their own future, and their own destiny. Which doesn't make sense, and even the very terminology of their own law that it was given to them as all the tribes of Israel stood before Mount Sinai, and now the majority of Israelites hate to even speak about, you know, what they call the Torah, you know, the Jewish stuff, old stuff, you know, don't talk to us about it. And the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Well, this would be a natural place to stop. So, we shall say greetings to all of God's people. This is again Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.